servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? I've been reflecting a lot on on the blog post that I put out about um, leaving the candidacy process. Mm-hmm. I. And and Ian also shared it, and then Ian's mom shared it, and they were both a lot more a lot more righteous in their indignation <laughs> than I was in a in in the post that I wrote. Because uh, in the post I wrote, I was essentially like, "This is where like let me explain broad strokes the <laughs> the ordination process. This is the the level that I got to in the ordination process, and this is why I'm leaving." And and I continue to like kind of soften the blow of being like, I'm so thankful for for everybody who supported me because I, I genuinely am. Yeah. But also like that support it stands in this weird um, the contrast with like a lot of the pain that I experienced. It, and and that's what makes it so hard is that like it wasn't a hundred percent painful, terrible experience being a pastor <laughs> but but like there was enough that was that was bad that like made it not not worth staying and so it's, it's hard to balance that when i talk about it yeah but i feel like I, I like i took a um a really like i don't know lyrical approach to all of it in the in the blog post so it, it left it, it ended up being like I think it all hung together well in what I wrote. Anyway, um, but but what I've been thinking about is like that's really other than like uh, the the post that I wrote after a friend of mine from Silva died earlier this year um, unexpectedly, and then like other than like my aunt's funeral homily, <laughs> like this is the first um, substantial piece of writing that I've like written and felt that I could show to other people. And I think I knew on some level how much I how much I was not writing right now, especially like as I had intended to write more. But it it's just really, really clear to me how much uh, staying in the ordination process blocked me from being able to write anything substantive. <laughs> and and that's a weird thing. And I kind of don't know what to do what to do with the knowledge that that is true. Like. Like it, it should not have. I should not have ever um, felt so trapped by the ordination process that like I couldn't write until I left it. But I also kind of felt like I was like carrying the secret that stopped me from saying anything at all of substance. Um, yeah. So yeah. So that's that's kind of what I've been thinking about a lot uh, these past couple of days. Oh, how does how does that strike you? What do you pull from that? What do you think about with that? Well, I mean, the, ordin- the the process shouldn't make anybody feel trapped, right? You know, I mean, nothing should, but the process definitely shouldn't make anybody feel trapped, right? Like, ideally, the ideally, and it, and that it's not true for you is not your fault. That's not at all. Hear me, hear me well, but like. Ideally, the ordination process is supposed to make people feel like free, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, right, yeah. because te- theoretically, if, if the Methodist church is, if the story the Methodist church tells 
about ordination is true, which is it isn't true. But like, right. ideally, ideally, if it is true, that means that the the person who is working through the process has been called to be ordained. That this is the purpose that God has for them. That that they are now be going to become more fully alive <laughs> because they are right. living into their calling and their vocation. And so while the process might be difficult or stressful or time consuming, it shouldn't make us feel trapped. Now it does, you know, but uh, but that's that it that it has made you feel trapped is um, a sign of the failure of the process, not not a failure of your ability to be a pastor. Um, so those are the things that I'm thinking about. Yeah, that feels right. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's weird that like I have had this kind of like writer's block for essentially a year. <laughs> yeah. And, and that like, and that it's centered around this thing that like, in theory should be really freeing. Yeah, I think you're right. Gosh, and, and like the ordination process, I know of nobody who's gone through it who's been like, "This feels freeing. This is affirming." <laughs> right. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think I often found myself being like, "I like going before a boom is like is like going before like boards and any other kind of uh, profession that requires a lot of education." But, but it doesn't. I I I the I continue to think about how weird it is that like that ordination requires you to like detail your spiritual life which feels so personal to me. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. Um yeah, like there's there's no other board that's like and how much have you prayed this week, you know? That's just it's weird. Especially when when your spirit when spirituality is so individual. Um and what you find, what gives you life is not necessarily what gives another person life. And therefore, like, there's really not necessarily a yardstick you can measure all of us by. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what frustrates me uh, about, you know, those kinds of questions and, and is because and this is what I think in terms of how far I've been in the process, I've encountered this as well, is I think that the people who ask those questions, I think they know, I think they know what we know that like, gosh, what, even if I say I pray every day for an hour a day, that doesn't indicate anything. Right. You know, it, it only indicates that I pray every day for an hour a day. It doesn't indicate the state of my soul or, or any, anything at all. Yeah. We know that John Wesley says that like, like John Wesley's like, yeah, I don't fucking know, you know, <laughs> like that's no good. But what I think, I think what frustrates me is the questions exist because the, because they're, they're not really looking for a specific answer. They're trying to see how we answer the question. And um, so, like, here's what I mean by that. So I have a buddy who I grew up with who um, he doesn't work for. He doesn't do this anymore, but like finished up a job working for uh, the American government in developing weapons. 
basically. He's an astrophysicist. Hmm. And um, he does other things now. But but he when he applied for the job, and he was telling me about this. He applied for the job. He got an interview. And in and the interview, the first part of the interview was um, a psychological test was Ooh, was yeah. was for the interviewer on purpose bothered and disrespected him like to see what he would do and and eventually like his name is troop we call him troop that's his last name troop goes eventually i realized that and and like i was able to kind of pass the test because i realized sort of what was going on like it was just so bizarre so inappropriate i didn't have any idea how to like go about this you know like like but i sort of realized that maybe this was part of the test and you know whatever and i think that so much of of the ordination process is something like that is is you know because they know that the answers to these questions are just not they don't tell us anything Right. You know, not at all. It doesn't indicate anything, but instead it's, you know, there it's a poke and a prod to, to sort of manipulate and see, see kind of what we do. It's actually the reason why I think it's so tedious. Like I'm okay with, with time. Like I'm okay with saying, okay, you've passed this portion. Now you're going to take two years and do the job. And we're going to evaluate you every couple of months and see how things go. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. But the tediousness of accomplishing certain things on certain days with certain forms needing to be done in very particular ways, I think that that's just a way to see how compliant we are. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think that's a sign of – I guess it could be a sign of just really bad bureaucracy because we all know how incompetent the church is. But like, I, I think that the reason why it's not fixed is because it's, it's effective in showing who is going to like, who is just going to do stuff, you know, because they're told to do it. I hmm. think that's part of the reason why it's self-guided, like they say all the time. They're like, okay, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to make us ordain you. Um. And uh, because they want compliant, sort of compliant pastors to, to do these things. Um, and the, 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 le the less compliant these pastors get, that's when I think you start to see, like, like as more liberal or progressive pastors show up, and really what ultimately is just happening is people just move to the center and nothing changes. But like the more like the system gets agitated by folks like this, that's when you start to see like, like older pastors like wake up a little bit and are mm. like you need to shut the fuck up right now yeah you need to fall in line right now you know like because it's all just a a sort of a big psychological experiment to keep us to keep us compliant that's what i think so i'm actually not surprised at all you've had writer's block this this past huh. year because writing is you know th that's a particular it's a particularly creative thing like and, and at the end of the day, this system is not meant, we're not supposed to be creative with things. Like we're supposed to just kind of, we're supposed to just kind of fall in line. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I think back to our conversation with Michelle, where she talked about, she didn't talk in detail about her struggle with the ordination process, but, but I think that that's part of it for her too, is that like, she's, she has a fairly creative spirit and this is something that, that really kills creativity, but also like she would have to distort herself in ways that would, that would break her to conform to the system. And that would be really unhealthy for her in order to conform. And, and I think that's really what we find with people who struggle with the ordination process. And maybe that's like me over inflating my sense of, of who I am. But like, there's there, like there are people for whom conforming to the system is just really, it, it costs them something really precious to them like the system does not allow for something really precious to them and to who they are and and so like they're always gonna struggle with the process like i i think that's just kind of patently true um yeah but like but this is the this is the the gaslighty aspect of it is that like they tell us that they want people who are creative. <laughs> they tell us that they want people who think outside the box. They tell us that they want people who are going to be able to like serve in a congregation and also um, be out in the community in these like new and interesting and life-giving ways. Um, and and the, the ordination process doesn't reward people who are like that. Like it just does not... Yeah, the the thing that they think that they're that that they're asking for, they they both want somebody who can think outside of the box and somebody who can completely conform to the system, and um, it, and those things just often don't go together. And if and if they do go together, it's somebody who lied somewhere in your ordination paperwork. <laughs> like, sure. people lie all the time. People do lie all the time, and, and well, and I just want to remind you, like you know this too, Joe. Like, like. They're not lying. They absolutely do need creative people doing X, Y, Z thing. And those creative people, um, if they're not stamped out by the system, do end up showing up and they end up doing 92% of the work of the whole conference. Um, While the people who've fallen in line um, become district superintendents or, you know, uh, uh, are given... um, uh, cushy jobs at the conference level, um, at the conference office, uh, that uh, don't require a ton of work because it's not like they're doing anything anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, because once again, the the actual work of the United Methodist Church always happens at the parish level. Yeah, that's the work, and and so like those folks who who are really good at things like that. Well, they, they're given those jobs. They're like, great, here is uh, a church. This church um, needs a ton of work. We can pay you at the minimum that you, we owe you. And uh, it's on you now, kid. Yeah. You know, this is what you want, right? This is what you're called to do. This is it. You know? I, I don't think it's that complicated. Yeah, I, not that you. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's that complicated. I think that, I think that the Methodist Church <laughs> lies by telling the truth in the ordination process. You know, it, it tells us a number of things. We need creative, energetic, 
you know, committed people, right? Because mm-hmm. they do. But we reward company men. Yeah. You know? And so uh, do that. Plan accordingly. Right. You know? And I think that uh, this is somebody who I'm somebody who might end up going back doing this full time in the next four years. Like if the money's good enough, sure, whatever, you know, I can, I can do this job in such a way that I can distance myself from being terribly affected by it, provided that I have time to do life giving things outside of this job. Right. But um, I'm a mercenary. <laughs> That's yeah. how that is how God made me, and not everybody's like that, right? Yeah, in, in many ways, I am not like that. You say yeah. that, and I'm like, oh, I like I can't. I there I um, I, for so much of my life, I compartmentalized everything, and so and so like things did not affect me. I, as holistically as they do now, but like I went through the ordination process and they told me I had emotional alienation during my psyche val. And so I fixed that. And now there's no unfixing that. (laughs) Like, like I can't shut it off. I'm just going to be very affected by, by what happens in the job. Um, I don't know. There's also like, like this week, um, at my other job, not the not the Alamo, uh, I've been editing some stuff for for my boss because that's just kind of a part of like the content that we put out. Um, and her writing style and um, every once in a while grammatical choices that she make or word choices that she makes, I uh, like I'll go through and like fix it so that it's better. Um, and, and not, I don't think subjectively better. I think like objectively, this is how you make a sentence flow better. Um, and she'll go back and change it back. (laughs) And I'll be like, why, why are you doing this to me? A comma doesn't belong there. Um, but like at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter. And so I've, I am like learning to be like, you know what, this is not my piece of writing. I'm not in charge here. This can be the way it is. And it's, and it's not bad, but it's just the way that it is. And and that's fine. Um, but I, I, I think it would take me years to get to that level of, of Zen with the church. Um, because it's not, it's not necessarily commas on a page, right? It's like people's spiritual life. Like the church has such capacity for harm that I, unless like we're actively trying to counteract our capacity for harm, I will always just be um, on high alert and, and always be deeply affected by things. Um and, you know, like if the world were a different place, maybe I would would be able to engage on that longer journey. Um, but with the way church work is right now and the way the world is right now, it just doesn't does not seem feasible. Sure. But yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I when I was when I was writing my my letter to request to withdraw from candidacy, um I was like explaining my thought process to Ian. Um, and I was like, like, I just need to be out of the process. Like I, like, 
I I cannot think the way that I want to think. Like I cannot explore the way I want to explore. Like I just feel really caught and trapped by it. And, and like, I just need to be out. And he's like, I don't believe that the ordination process is what's stopping you from like reading new and different theology beyond like creedal theology, which was a bad example that I gave him. He's like, I like, I think you're just going to be able to do what you want to do. Like, just go do it. Um, uh, and I think like that's a way in which Ian thinks I'm stronger than I actually am. Um, <laughs> but I also think that like, yeah, sure. Like letter, like it, looking at the situation in and of itself, like, no, the, the ordination process is not stopping me from like thinking complexly about things or, or pursuing new lines of thought or whatever. Like the, the ordination process hasn't like, changed me from thinking the way that I think and it hasn't like stopped any of the discussions that we've had on this podcast but it it does in a very real way um like limit me and make me feel like um if I'm going to think outside of of what's acceptable on like the theology paperwork that I need to like hide it in a way almost um like I, I just felt, I felt very performative at at almost every stage in the ordination process. Like I needed to to present the version of myself that I thought they would like, um, and that it, it and that like really put up a block in my brain. So I don't know, mm. and it, like it was just really essential to me to to unblock that. Uh, yeah. And I'm I'm just really happy that that block is gone. Um, and that's weird. Like, I, I don't think that I, um, anybody thinks about that as being a byproduct of the ordination process, but it was really true for me. Well, uh, if it's true for you, then I'm also really glad that you, that's been unblocked, you know? Thanks. I yeah. think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. Now that I want to be a Quaker, and I'm pretty fixated on that, I... <laughs> I work at the Methodist Church as a pastor, but secretly am a Quaker. That might not go well. Um, <laughs> Historically, it has not, but I, maybe we've moved past the the sectarian violence of England. <laughs> no, no, we definitely haven't. We definitely <laughs> haven't. Oh, that was the other thing that was on weird Christian Twitter that was bothering me. This weird, like, you know, Baptist apologetics where, like, the main line was making fun of the Baptists for having a, a very long and very rich history of right-wing takeovers and the, uh, you know, systematic uh, oppression of women and black people and stuff that mainliners have too, but like, you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, let's be real. And and the the Baptist apologetic for all of that was, well, at least we're not you know shrinking into an oblivion like you mainliners. And I'm like I'm like oh my god, God strike down your church, <laughs> <laughs> scatter us all to the wind. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Holy crap, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, we don't let women preach, but hey, our congregations are bigger. My gosh, you're right. You're right. This is, you've defeated me. God help me. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I think that humans are, uh, have a tendency toward, um, jumping on, on board with toxic systems and, uh, the growth of something does not necessarily mean that something is a good thing. It just means that, uh, humans are fucked up again. (laughs) That's, that is maybe, maybe the whole thing. I mean, that's the, that is the problem in the end with, um, with all the metrics that we do in the UMC is, uh, like if you're growing a congregation, then you must be doing good stuff. But like, no, not necessarily. There's, there's nothing that correlates the two. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't like independent Baptist churches that are doing good stuff out there. I'm not, again, I'm not here to come after the Baptist. It's just that like, yeah, growth does not equal good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, I think that it's really good that you are free. Yeah. And that um, you're now able to, or, or like like your whole world is available to you now. You can you can become the CEO of, of Alamo if you really wanted to. That'd I be can cool. work my way up, yeah. Work your way up the corporate <laughs> ladder. Um, why not? You know, why not? You could do anything. But I do. I think it's really exciting. Um I think that uh, things are as much as they can in the midst of this awful world that we live in of Omicron and the, my, my last, my final update uh, for the, for the minisode is, did you see the, uh, some of the conservative evangelical folks are now kind of just embracing what, uh, like Christian nationalism? Uh, like I did not see this any more than I've seen it in the past couple of years. So what I mean by that is they've they've adopted it as a like defining feature. Ah. Like like oh yes, we are Christian nationalists. And and here is our manifesto. They're like they're like writing out like what they mean by Christian nationalism and how they see it as a biblical ideology, you know, and all this different stuff. It's uh, some of them are putting it in their bios now on Twitter. I uh yeah, I kind of love it. I won't lie. Like, I think this is really helpful. So it's kind of like what I call like, you know, that story. It, it's it's the Exodus story. You know, that part of the Exodus story where where they the Hebrews have to put like uh, like blood on their doorway so that when the angel of death comes, the angel of death is like, mm, don't kill that one. Mm-hmm. I think that I like to think of Christian nationalism on the Twitter profile as like the reverse blood on the doorway. Like God's angel of death will arrive and will go, who do I kill? This motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, like I will literally take the breath of life from him, you know, and, and, and he will fall, he will fall down. Like, and he will be dead. Like, I'm like, great. This is good. (laughs) This is good. Like or like patriarchy is actually good. Like that's the other thing they're doing now uh, is, is you know, patriarchy promotes beauty and order and peace. And haven't you ever noticed that the people who support uh, egal, you know, egalitarianism are both ugly and miserable? We all know that. Ah, uh, we do. And we I'm do. like, I'm like, hmm, okay, well, 
I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so think of it as a reverse blood on the doorway. That's good. You know. I like that. Yeah. Lord. Uh, yeah, we got to sign off before we go even deeper. <laughs> sign it off. Friends, thanks for listening. It's been a mini-sode of What the Hell's a Pastor. We are Spanx, Reebok, and the Dude. And we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf, performed by Joe Schomolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptive disciples, on Twitter at wthisapastor, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash wthiap, where you can get access to pillow talk, signed cards, episode suggestions, and some other things. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan owes me all the money in his wallet.